Welcome to Everyday Martial Artist, a weekly podcast where you'll join me, Brian Doucet, as I interview a different martial artist each episode and hear their story. Some guests you may have heard of, and some you probably haven't. Be sure to subscribe where all your favorite podcasts are available. Also, visit our website at everydaymartialartist.com. If you're listening for a specific interview, I sure hope you'll stay and check out the other episodes. A very special thank you to Topher Williams for our custom theme music. And now, the newest episode of Everyday Martial Artist. Everyday Martial Artist is brought to you by KOonline.com for all your martial arts needs. Sparring and safety gear, rank belts, uniforms, weapons, patches, and more. Wholesale supplies made by martial artists for martial artists. Visit us today at KO-Online.com. Hello and welcome to Everyday Martial Artist. I'm your host, Brian Doucette, and as we do every Thursday, we're joined by a brand new guest talking about their life and their journey throughout the world of martial arts. My guest today holds a BS in biology with a minor in psychology, as well as a BA in AOS and network engineering. He's been training in martial arts for over 40 years, was the manager and head instructor of the Glendale Junery School. In Arizona, he served for five years as the vice president and head instructor of America's Best Karate. In 2004, moved back to Virginia and became the co-owner and head instructor of Junery Arlington. He's trained over 20 national champions, as well as training law enforcement. One of his current notable students is Ian Armitage from TV's Young Sheldon. He is currently a 7th grade black belt, married with three kids. He loves snowboarding and has heliboarded in three countries. Please welcome my guest today, Mr. Francis Pineda. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing great. I'm great. How are you? I'm doing good. I appreciate you taking the time to do this. What we like to do and how we kick things off, I want to go back to the very beginning. What led to your first intro into martial arts and kind of what led to that first spark in you getting involved? Uh, well, I, I think um, I was a victim of probably one of the, the greatest uh, martial arts marketing commercials ever made. And this was uh, Junery's Nobody Bothers Me commercial. Um, I was uh, a, a fan of martial arts. I used to watch uh, you know Kung Fu Action Theater on Saturdays. And uh, if you're from the Washington D.C. area, you you've seen it, and it's it's uh, it's got a really uh, catchy jingle. It was written by a gentleman from Bruce Springsteen's E Street Band, and at the very end, it's like nobody bothers me. And uh, big USA 1000 popped on the screen, and and <laughs> the rest is history, really, because wow. you know I wanted to do it. It's like yeah, I want to do it, and and uh, at that time they had. Uh, 12 locations and one was was very close to me so i uh i signed up as a kid and i was i was sucked in by that commercial so once you started then what kind of drew you in and made you want to stay you know i think uh i was i think i had some very good instructors um i, I think my instructors and and i learned from them still up today my instructors did a great job of of not not just teaching uh, great martial arts but they were very inspirational at the same time and um i think it was it was kind of like that push like you can do this you you're better than you think you are and just like martial arts is you know everything's about setting small goals and 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 they just did such a fantastic job of pushing that, you know, and, and then of course our figurehead was, was Grandmaster Junri and, and he was, uh, Mr. Lead by example himself and would just, you know, had such impact on me as a kid, just through his words, through his philosophy, he used to do some cool demonstrations and he really just, it would just kind of, kind of drew me in and oh, gosh, I don't know. I, 
I can almost think that by 12 or 13, I, I told myself I was going to be a martial arts instructor. Really? Wow. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I mean, it, I, you know, and it, and it was, it was just, you know, a, a, a good instructor teaches, but a great instructor inspires. And, and I really think I, I had the, the benefit of having some really great instructors. So now when you got your uh, first degree black belt, did you actually get to test then under Junery? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. This was uh yeah. And funny, I was actually just talking about that. I have a group of black belts right now that I'm teaching at my school and, and I was telling them about my black belt exam. And it was it was something big. I mean, at the time we had uh, 12 junior schools and we all kind of gathered and it was big. And, and at that time, there were five masters that, that graded you. Okay. And there were like 40 plus of us that got together. And this was like a seven, eight hour test. And wow. it was it was pretty grueling. And I think uh, the pass fail ratio at the time was 50%. I think out of 42, 20 passed. Really? Um, but it, you know, and kind of what I was telling my students, I said, this is, that's going to be a test that you're never going to forget. Yeah. You know, for you're going you're to really feel like you earned it. So that, that's for sure. I thought my two and a half hour test was bad. <laughs> that's, that's crazy. <laughs> you can do a lot in two and a half hours. Yes, you <laughs> Don't can. Don't get me wrong. Yes, you can. <laughs> Especially when there's only three of you testing. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. It was kind of intense. So <laughs> nice. Crazy. So what do you remember about that test other than, you know, that what, what, what are some of the things you had to do and, and how different is it from the black belt test you conduct nowadays? Wow. It, it was, uh, it was something else. Like I said, there were, there were over 40 people that were testing. I can almost swear that I must've lost 10 pounds just in sweat. <laughs> And, and yeah, I mean, it, it is, it's very different than it is today. And I told my students that I left with a black eye, a bruised throat and a, uh, and a pulled hamstring. Wow. And it was, it was kind of rough, you know, and, and the thing too, is that, you know, the five masters that were, were grading us were, were Grandmaster June Ree, um, his oldest son, Jimmy Ree, my instructor, uh, Michael Coles, who was a welterweight kickboxing champion. Okay. And then on top of that was uh, Jeff Smith, who is also a heavyweight kickboxing champion. Yep. And then uh, Dong Ju Lee, who is a uh, Pan Am champion in, in, uh, in Taekwondo. So they are all very heavy fighters. So I think when it came to the sparring portion, they were just kind of picking and choosing and let's put them against them. And like I, I felt like I sparred like 15 rounds wow. or something like that. But it was it was pretty intense, and I you know you definitely feel like you earned it. That's for sure. Now you mentioned sparring. So at, at what uh, belt level did you get involved in the competition side of martial arts? And and was the school you trained at was it more focused on competition, more traditional, or was it a, a nice blend? So I was at I was at the Junery in Marlow Heights, and this was let's see. So Grandmaster Junery is uh, originally taught the ITF Chung Kwan system. Mm-hmm. Chunji, Tengun, Tosan, and Taekwondo. Um, right around somewhere in the early '80s, he had made his own system. He made he he, he made it a modernized system, and he did this for a couple of reasons. One, he was doing a lot of collaboration with with Bruce Lee. Uh, they were they were very close. They were good friends. Grandmaster Lee taught Bruce Lee, you know, Taekwondo kicks, and Bruce Lee said, "Hey, you know, the stances might not work. Why don't you try standing up?" And they just traded a lot of ideas. So he had kind of formulated his own curriculum, and, and we call it the modern Junri system now. 
where everything is kind of done upright, right? We, we teach the modern system first, and then after first degree, we go back and do the tradition. So okay. we, we teach the, the stances from first to second degree. And I think I was around purple, purple belt when they made that switch. So okay. I was kind of learning half and half of the forms. But I did, I do remember, I think my first competition was the U.S. Capital Classics. I was a purple belt and I did, let's see, I did a form and it was a, so funny thing is mm-hmm. the modern system is mostly upright, upright stances. Okay. Uh, Dennis Brown's tournament. So he's a wushu stylist. Yep. Um, so I'm sitting in the ring and, and most of my judges were Kung Fu wushu. <laughs> and so I did a junior modern form and I was so nervous. I did it so fast. I'm sure it was pretty bad in my eyes but to them it kind of looked like a wushu form and i placed third <laughs> i was like wow, wow. <laughs> nice that kind of amazed me and that was like my first try at competition um i think as a brown belt i did a lot of competitions in the area just local tournaments mm-hmm. and then i got a little serious as a black belt okay um i i, I met a lot of friends and I got serious in competition as a black belt. I, I had a very rude awakening because I was placing quite well as an underbelt. But if you're a black belt and you go into a black belt competition, you're not in there with other black belts that have been black belts as long as you have. You're in there with black belts that may have been black belts for five or six years, yep. you know, or, you know, or could be second, third, fourth degrees. So I think my, my first, gosh, it must've been my first year or two, maybe even two that I would compete as a black belt. I wouldn't even place. Wow. And of course that just drove me more that drove me to, to training harder. And then, uh, then I eventually got to the point where I started, I started placing. Okay. Right? And then, and then I, I got sponsored by, uh, atomics team atomics. Nice. Um, Great they shoes. make, um, <laughs> yeah, shoes and pants yep. and, and footwear. And then after atomics, I got picked up by team prestige okay. and they were pretty well known on the NASCAR circuit. I had teammates like, uh, let's see, uh, John Valera. He's a yep. stuntman actor now. Don Terratata is an actor. Willie, the Bam Johnson. Everyone knows, everyone knows yep. Bam. Yeah. Willie was on my show. Um, yep. Oh, was he? Yeah, yeah he's yep. a great guy. He was he was actually my roommate um, nice. whenever we would, we would okay. travel. Um, Hakeem Shaw Olsen. So I I uh, you know I finally got it to a team and and I think as a as a competitive martial artist I think your your big goal is to make it on a team because mm-hmm. if you don't get on a team and you're competing nationally that gets expensive. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, I can right? imagine. <laughs> so now were you doing strictly forms? Were you competing in sparring? Were you doing weapons? What were you competing in? I was doing mostly forms okay you know i think when you get to the level of black belt it's kind of like you have to you can be really good at one or okay at two okay um depending on the time that you had and and you'll notice that with a lot of martial artists you know like john valera was you know he he was a great fighter but he was mostly a forms guy willie the bame johnson again great forms guy but you know mostly known for forms but, but but great in fighting i was there so i fought I don't think I was the greatest. I wasn't nearly as good as people that only fought, right. you know, like, uh, like I had, uh, Abby Abdallah was a, a teammate of mine and Jay Bell was a teammate of mine and, you know, their forms might've been so, so, but man, their fighting was amazing, you know? So it was, it, it's kind of like you choose, yeah, right. You want to spend more of your time here or there. And then there were, there, there's a rare few that, that did well everywhere. And that's rare. I mean, that's, that's Kevin Thompson. You know, he's, oh, yeah. he's a gentleman that, Recognize that he name. was everywhere. 
uh, forms fighting and weapons. You know, he, he was an amazing martial artist, you know, rest in peace. Yeah. I remember, God, one of the best one. I, I, one time I got to see uh Steve nasty Anderson fight. So he was, he was, mm. he was kind of fun to watch back in the day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nasty was something. Else. Yeah. It was yeah. good. Good. So then at what level did you teaching become? Cause obviously that's something you're still doing to this day. What, when did mm-hmm. you decide that was something you wanted to do? Did, did you start assisting as a lower belt? Did that not happen until you were black belt? When did that happen? Uh, no, that, you know, it's kind of weird. I, I feel that I was kind of molded. Um, I think my instructors saw the potential in me as an instructor. So, yeah, I had a, I had a very interesting start to that. Like, uh, you know, I started assisting as a brown belt with Master Coles, and he started kind of grooming me as an instructor and even told me, like, once I get my black belt, then I can, I can start teaching for him. And I got my black belt, and I was kind of an assistant instructor. He, he took me under his wing. And I, it really started, you know, I wasn't a great instructor first, but I, I it started to click after a while. And, um, you know, a couple of years go by, actually maybe a year goes by, and I, next thing you know, I'm the head instructor of his school. Like, he's the office manager. He appoints me the head instructor. Um, they put more training into me. And so this, and this is interesting because this all started when I was young. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was about uh, 16, I was the head instructor of Junior Marlow Heights. Wow. And then um, they were opening more locations and they opened that school in Glendale, Junior Glendale. And at the time, Grandmastery owned all the schools. So he was kind of floating the instructors where they were needed. And he's in the opportunity came for me to run a school in Glendale. So I, I met with uh, Grandmastery's son, Jimmy Ree. We talked about it and they decided to put me in charge of a school. Now I'm 17. And so here I am, I'm still in high school. I'm running the Junery in Glendale. I'm signing contracts that, that I can't even really sign because I'm (laughs) not even 18 yet, Um, but I'm running a school and it's great. You know, I'm the manager and it's, it just started. It's, it was, it was started. So I didn't have a lot of students at first, but um, I was like, wow, this is, this is my school. I'm running the school. I'm, I'm the office manager. I'm teaching classes. And I, I really just loved kind of being, uh, you know, being in charge, being in control. And I was like, this is, this is really cool. And it's such a young age. Mm-hmm. I think it was just something I, I really wanted to do. Now, of course I went to college and I even taught all the way through college. I think it was like my junior year, you know, in all my martial arts, I think I only took a break twice in my life. And I think once was when I was a junior in college because my courses got too heavy okay. and I couldn't teach full time and go to college. I was, I was trying to go to med school. Mm-hmm. So I, I had to back out so I could, I could concentrate on my studies. And then the other time was a little bit later on when I decided to try my hand at the uh, being a network engineer, I took a break for a couple of years. So when you were 17 and, and go went to your parents and said, Hey, I'm, I'm going to be running my own martial arts <laughs> school. I'm just curious how, how, what was their reaction? <laughs> uh, well, you know, not great, quite honestly, <laughs> I can't imagine. Uh, because, you know, you know, so I'm, 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 I'm Filipino, right. Mm-hmm. And like Asian parents, like it's all school, you know, and, uh, you know, like I said, you know, my parents molded me to be a doctor and they wanted me me to be a doctor. And so at that point it was like, well, I guess, but it's just kind of a waste of time. You should be spending your time studying. And, 
and uh, and then they were they're actually very upset when I was still teaching it, and I was in college. It's like <laughs> well, you know you should quit that because you need to you know concentrate on your studies. So it wasn't what I expected. Okay. Um, you know it was it was and and you know I, I guess thinking back. I did it, and and I kind of defied my my, my parents <laughs> by by continuing to teach when they wanted me to uh, concentrate on my studies. That's crazy. So, you what know? do you thinking back to then to that first time you started teaching as a brown belt to now? What do you think's changed about your teaching style over the years? Oh, uh, <laughs> a lot. <laughs> you know, I I uh, I was very dry. I was very monotone. I actually had had taken the lead of uh, one of my instructors, uh, Dong Ju Lee, and he was probably the toughest, meanest Korean I'd ever met. Um, he was like six feet tall. He had uh, a crew cut, and he never smiled. He never smiled. And when he would spar with students, like he, they would bleed. Oh, wow. <laughs> you know, he was he was kind of like a real deal. And uh, and I was like, oh, I want to be like like master Lee. And so like, I, I didn't smile. I had no, no, you know, no expression. And I demanded a lot and, and it was okay. The, the quality was, was fantastic, mm-hmm. but there was no retention, you know, because people, people weren't sticking around. And I was like, you know what? I think if I am more relatable, I think I would get better results. And, and so then I kind of took, I started teaching in the style of, of my other mentor, Michael Coles, was a very you know he was very firm but he was also very friendly and and very accommodating and so i kind of i kind of took that lead and uh, the students really just started to to, they they started to stick around uh, you know we could we could see things eye to eye and i'm like yeah you know i think and i think that's probably where i started my attitude of of respect me for what i have to teach you not for who I am, right? Like, I, I didn't want to have that attitude of, you know, I'm your black, I'm a black belt and I'm your instructor. You should bow and respect me because you're supposed to, mm-hmm. right? I took the attitude of, you know, you should, we should have mutual respect and you should respect what I teach, you know, respect me for the teacher and what I'm teaching you, just like we should re- uh, respect all teachers, right? right? And I, I wanted the respect to be earned from my students. And I think that's, really what kind of turned things around for me as an instructor and i think i really started to prove it when i became a a co-owner of junery arlington okay and i say that because uh, i taught at a lot of schools and i think the most time i ever spent at one school might have been like four or five years okay and then i would either go to a different branch or i you know i'd help someone else or whatever but once I stayed in one place and I had vested interest in the school, I could put all my energies in one place. We grew like gangbusters. Nice. I mean, we, we got to the point where we had uh, 300 students. Right? Wow. And to me, I think 300 students is a, a national average where if you have 300, you're successful. Okay. Right? But then we grew more <laughs> and then we ran out of space. So then we had to get a space in our mall down the hall, and then we grew again. <laughs> then we had to get more space down the hall. Eventually, at the end, we're 7,000 square feet, and we're at 625 students. Nice. And I'm like, wow. And my, you know, my, my business partner, Barry Shackelford, he, you know, we, we talk about that all the time. It's like 
when we grew up. I mean, he he uh, started martial arts in Danville in a very small school. And again, like I said, my in my experience, you know, 300 is like the target. But we, you know, we just people wouldn't quit. People stuck around. They stayed. And and I think uh, a lot of it is is not demanding respect, but earning it and, uh, you know, being being practical and, and teaching things and, and, and seeing people eye to eye, you know, see them as people. You know, not as not as you know your subjects or or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that really, you know, that really helped out. So very cool. So, what yeah. led to the decision to move to Arizona? Was that was that mm. strictly martial arts based, or was it something completely different that led you there? Uh, <laughs> two parts of that. Two okay. parts of that. So, um, I had a student of mine. His name's Jeff Durbin, and he uh, was very. Uh, he he was a he was one of my competitors. He was top ranked um, in NASCA, and he got recruited by uh, by Mike Erickson in Arizona, organization called America's Best Karate. And so he had the number one school in Arizona, the number three school in the country, according to EFC, because he had big schools, and yeah. and they were very very. I mean, they had koi ponds in them. I mean, he he did a good job and. Mike Erickson is actually he's uh, he's from Steve Oliver's uh, lineage in Colorado. Um, he kind of ran his schools and decided to open up in in Arizona. He he did his research like he knew that Arizona was was a good place to go. He he and one of his students, Shannon Preston, kind of opened up there. Uh, next thing you know, he's got five schools and he recruits Jeff Durbin, uh, one of my students. And then every time I talk to Jeff, you know, just like hey, you know. Mr. Erickson really wants to meet you. He really wants to meet you. And I was like, oh, okay, I guess. I really didn't want to move to Arizona. Um, and and he had actually, I mean, Mike Erickson had, he wanted to convert his schools from a kind of a older Junior system, the Chandraquan system, into a new, he wanted to be official members of, of Junior Taekwondo. Okay. So in order to do that, he wanted to recruit me because I, I, I was uh, a big part of the curriculum and, and I could help convert the schools over. He wine and dined me. He, uh, you know, he invited me on to a cruise. He hosted seminars for me. I mean, he gave me, you know, the red carpet treatment. And I still wasn't sure because I was really kind of locked into to my life in D.C. And, well, I had an ex-girlfriend and things weren't going well. <laughs> and it was very hard for me to separate from her. And I'm going to, I'm just going to kind of leave it at that. And then I was thinking, you know what, maybe I should give Arizona a try. And so that kind of helped separate me from that, but then also gave me another opportunity to run an organization. So anyway, uh, Mike Erickson, uh, hired me. He made me the the vice president of, uh, America's best karate. And, and, uh, I, I was there for 10 years, nearly 10 years. Oh, was that long? Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so what, what led you back then? So Erickson and I had kind of a bit of falling out. We didn't see a lot of things eye to eye. I was young enough and I came to the decision that if I wanted to try something different in my life, now would be the time to do it. And, and I've always been good in computers. I mean, way back in the day, I was, I was big. This is all pre-internet. Like mm-hmm. I was, uh, I was uh, writing uh, BBSs and uh, nice. I was doing a lot of programming. Do you remember BBSs? Oh, yeah. I, I used to log, oh, in, okay. log, log into our local Elves Den BBS from my Commodore 64. 
And my yes, 300, exactly. 300 right. Bob modem. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So exactly. So I that was, that was kind of my thing. And, and, uh, and then, you know, then, then the computers came up and, and, and I was a hobbyist, right. I was mm-hmm. building, you know, the three eighty the eighty eighty eights and the three eighty sixes, And that was, yep. just, so it was always a hobby. I was like, I wonder if I could make a career out of it. Um, so I was kind of taking classes during the day while I was teaching at night. So I signed up for a, a signed up at a networking school, a computer networking. I had like a trade school called Collins College in Arizona, and uh, I I blew it out the door. I mean, I I, uh, I graduated valedictorian, and before I even graduated, uh, a, a Cisco company had hired me. Wow. Um. So I was I was I was doing that. And I was doing great, you know, um, uh, learning a lot of advanced technologies. Uh, my boss told me that I was on a, a fast track. He said, yeah, four or five years, you're at a six-figure income. You're doing a great job, and I'm getting all these certifications. And then I started to realize that I really miss teaching because I loved working with people, influencing them in the right direction, changing lives you know, all that stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Trying to be an inspiration for everybody. And now I'm sitting at a desk and I'm, um, you know, I'm fixing, you know, some guy's router and that's it. Right. And I'm like, wow, I can go hours or even a day without even talking to another human being. I gained 40 pounds and I just, I was not feeling fulfilled. I was like, this is this, you know what? The money might be great, but this is not fulfilling one bit. I think I need to get back into martial arts. Nice. And and right about then, my father had gotten sick. He actually had he had he had three strokes. Oh, wow. um, but the last stroke had really kind of got him hard. And I just said, hey, I need to take care of my dad. I need to move back home. Um, so in uh, in 06, around there, I moved back. And then my my father passed the next year. Um, and then I got back into teaching. Wow. Um, I mean, I, I, th- I gained, like I gained all, so much weight and I think like I had so much sugar in my blood that I had to wear glasses. Like the optometrist ex- explained that, yeah, when you have a lot of sugar in your blood, like you get like this kind of glaucoma, I was wearing glasses and I was like, Oh, this is, I was not, I was, you know, uh, hypertension. Like I was in the wrong place where I definitely didn't want to be. So when I moved back, yeah, I, I got back into it. I, I hooked up with Grandmaster's son, Chun Ri. He had me kind of, uh, he kind of had me as like a fix-it guy. Mm-hmm. Um, he had owned a couple schools. He said, hey, I need you to go to this school, this school, this school, teach here, um, help, you know, uh, fix them up a little bit, sharpen them up. Um, and then I had the opportunity to, to get Arlington. And, and when, what year did that, how long have you been at the Arlington School now? Oh, we've been there 17 years. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah, 17 years. Yeah. I, I had actually, I had plans to open a school in Merrifield, Virginia. And, um, so while I was waiting for that school to be built or for, for it to be available, I was teaching at other schools and then, um, Chunri's cousin, uh, Barry Shackleford had opened up Arlington and, uh, Barry had taught at junior georgetown for a while he he came he was a he's actually a black belt under charlie lee from virginia tech oh yeah and um you know he he had run but he'd not never really run a school um i don't think he taught a lot of kids you don't really teach a lot of kids in junior georgetown mm-hmm. so so chun asked if i could just stay there and kind of help get barry established so um i i kind of taught him some of the systems i knew and and he was a 
a very quick learn. Um, but I taught them like the systems to run a school. I taught them how I, I teach like four-year-olds and all that good stuff. And um, my school in Merrifield, that lease had fallen through because of zoning. Um, it, was, it was only zoned to be a restaurant like or in food service. I'm like, okay. oh, well, that sucks. I can't do like junior taekwondo and carry out. So mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I was going to look for another location and and Barry and I get along great. And he said, hey, he said, before you go looking for another place or before you sign a lease or anything, let's talk. Right. And so um, we decided to be partners at that point. Very cool. Which is great because, I, you know, I think I think, uh, you know, when I tell people I tell people all the time, you know, we have a, a uh, it's it's well pre-pandemic it's still mm-hmm. still getting back up there but you know I, I could not have gotten a 600 student school by myself right there's no way and and that's probably the one time that i'd gone against uh most business advice they say you know never go into business with a partner but in this case i think it was kind of the perfect storm that's cool so yeah. then at what at what now is it once you took over arlington that you started uh having your students have a lot of success nationally or did you have success before that oh no yeah that was that was kind of all along i think okay you know i think that started that started when i was at glendale okay right that that school that i ran and i think the start of all that was carmichael ah, um okay. carmichael carmichael lived in annapolis but he was at a Taekwondo school and he was kind of, you know, kind of self-taught. Charlie Lee had actually kind of taken him under his wing and, and taught him uh, kind of the ways of, 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 uh, of open style forms, Jimmy style forms. Mm-hmm. And Charlie, of course, was very busy. And his instructor kind of said, you know, there, there isn't a lot I can teach you anymore you should seek out, you know, like a junior school. And I just happened to be right there in Glendale. And so he had signed up and, uh, well, he didn't sign up. He just came to me for competition. And so we would meet like, um, uh, every week we'd meet uh, every weekend we'd get together and I would train him competition wise. And I'd straighten up the stances. I cleaned up the kicks, you know, I, I did everything like the junior way, you know, the quote unquote junior way, you know, this is, this is the legacy of John Chung and Charlie Lee, you know? And of course, you know, he's tearing up the Nazca circuit okay. and then people are like, Hey, who's your instructor? And then that, that, I think that started the whole snowball effect because then people, you know, started coming to me, Hey, can you train my kid? And next thing you know, I've got kids like Ashley Lane, I, I met and, and she's, uh, her parents are driving her up from South Carolina, like twice a month. You know, I've got uh students driving over from pennsylvania you know once or twice a month i've got i had one kid from canada <laughs> that was trying to come wow. from winnipeg that was trying to come like you know once a month winnipeg geez that's um, three hours north of me <laughs> that's yeah crazy. right yeah and so i you know it was it was all kind of uh yeah i think you know i think wow. you know carmichael was it it's kind of like who taught you and then yeah. it was and then they started doing well Mm-hmm. And like who taught you and they started doing well right and 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 so the whole irony of it all you know is that i trained some some great martial artists yeah but myself you know eh. <laughs> i was i was i don't know top 10 maybe yeah. good enough to to be on uh, you know to be sponsored and on a team but not like a superstar and 
you know, it's it's kind of like that old adage, right? The, the, those those that can't, can't do teach, teach. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> right? So yep. I and I tried, but you know, I think I think that that's where I I think I'm a teacher, okay. you know, where I'm an instructor because I think I just put all my energy into them. You know, I, I didn't put as much energy into in, into myself, and and I'm okay with that. You know, but one thing that I tell my my students all the time, you know, I I ask them about their goals. Mm-hmm. I said, "What is your goal? What is your goal in Taekwondo?" And they say, "Well, you know, I want to be a black belt." I was like, "Fantastic! That is that is a great goal." You know, or and some would say, "I want to be a teacher." I was like, "An instructor." I was like, "Good. That's a good goal too." <laughs> yep. You know, and some of them say, yeah, so I want to be a competitor, this or that. I was like, that's great. I was like, what's my goal? What's my goal as your instructor? And I'm like, uh, to get us to black belt. I was like, nope. I was like, really? I was like, it's better. It's bigger than that. I was like, what? well, what's your goal? And I say, my goal is to make you better than me. Nice. Right? That's good. And that's how, that's how any system, any style perpetuates, right? I mean, there are some styles where like only the master is the best one, yeah. right? Well, then what, what's going to happen? It's going to die out, right? If you set that goal to make your students better than you, then you know that you're leaving a, a fantastic leg, legacy behind. And, and the students, they feel great about it. And, and you know what? They've gotten better than me. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's good. It works. And it I'm works. So, I'm so glad you mentioned Ashley Lane. I've told so many people oh. about her. I first, I think it was my first or second ever Diamond Nationals. I think she was either 9 or 10 and did her, oh. her, her bow staff competition to the song Kung Fu Fighting. That was so wow. cool. <laughs> I still have it you on know, VHS somewhere. <laughs> you, you and I, I think... Because you you traveled the NASCAR circuit. I, I only went you... to the Diamond Nationals. I, I okay. was never a competitor. I went as a fan. I mean, I was a martial artist, but I was I was never into competition. I my, my yeah, friend you know... my friend competed at the Diamond Nationals, and he got me to go uh-huh. watch him one time. And I'm like, oh, I'm coming to this every year. This is fun. <laughs> Yeah, you, you you and I were at the same place at the same time a, a, a few times because nine is actually when I started teaching Ashley. Okay, okay. Yeah, I started teaching Ashley at nine. She was known for that white bow staff, yep. you know, and she would do the circular kicks, you know, and, and all that stuff. But yeah, I started training her and and uh, I cleaned her I cleaned her forms up I gave her some some different moves to do some different combinations and and she she became so she's she's still very active now is she you know, she's in uh, well she had she had taught let's see she had moved to Atlanta and she taught uh with Joe Corley's organization for a little bit gosh had had a few kids mm-hmm. but she's always you know she and I are still in touch and and she's always posting videos of her, you know, competing as recently as like maybe two years ago. Oh, wow. Um, but now her kids are mm-hmm. like doing fantastic on the circuit. I mean, they're great fighters. I'd love to have her on the show. <laughs> just just, oh. be, just because I first watched her way back then. I mean, that'd be so cool. I mean, yeah. I'd... She is an amazing young lady. I'll give you, I'll give you her info. <laughs> That's cool. I, I'd appreciate it. That'd be awesome. Like I said, sure. I, think my, I think my first Diamond Nationals what, that I watched as a fan, I think was 1990. And then I went, uh-huh. I think I went five years in a row. I wasn't uh-huh. there in nineties. I wasn't there in ninety six because I I, uh-huh. went, I moved to California then to train in American Kempo. And then I came back uh-huh. and I think I went in probably ninety seven, ninety eight, ninety nine. And I don't think I've gone mm-hmm. since probably two thousand. It's been a while. <laughs> so yeah, so the I think like the early to mid nineties was when I was in my heyday of competition. Okay. Of of training competitors. Because that's well, so when you were there, the three big juniors, 
were Carmichael Simon, mm-hmm. Mike Chatteranabut, and John yep. Valera. Yep. Oh yeah. And, yeah. Those three were at it, and 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 they would they would kind of go back and forth with with uh, with winning the grands and stuff like that. And that's kind of when I had a lot of my competitors out there. And actually, uh, Dennis Brown, he's he's the uh, he's the promoter of the U.S. Capital Classics. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he pointed it out to me because kids would come up and they do the presentation, you know, judges representing blah, blah, blah. And then my instructor, Francis Pineda. And then the other one, my instructor, Francis Pineda. And then Dennis Brown was like, how many of these kids you got out there? <laughs> because they're all they're winning the divisions. They're doing a great job. But yeah, I would say, yeah, the early mid 90s is when I had my biggest flock of competitors um, on the circuit. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, I've had a, I've had a handful of, of NASCA people on my show. And I had yeah. K- I had Casey Marks on my show. Oh, um, she's great. Yeah, yeah, she was fun. I remember watching her when I was younger and stuff. So I, I had her on the show. I'm trying to think of a few of the other ones. I haven't had Larry Carnahan yet. I've been talking to him, but I haven't. Oh, had, he's a good guy. Yeah, I haven't had Larry uh-huh. on the show yet. But uh, yeah, it's mm-hmm. been yeah, it's been it's been cool. I've had. I think uh, Carmichael. I think was probably my first um, NASCA person I had, and then uh-huh. I, yeah, and then I think Casey was like six episodes later. And I've had a uh-huh. I had Cynthia Rothrock was on the show. Um, oh, was, you know, I did some work with Cynthia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. old school, you know, old school. And Cynthia, yeah, Christine Bannon Rodriguez has been on the show. Uh, yep. I said Willie Bam Johnson has been on the show, so yeah, I've, you know, yeah. P- p- people like that. So I've been I've been lucky. It's been a current one, uh, a current NASCAR competitor, sixteen year old Samantha Mitling. I don't know if you've heard of her or not. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Amazing mm-hmm. with with Bo staff, just an amazing young lady. It was just such a yeah. good interview. I would, I mean, I'd l- I listened to the interview. And I'm like, I can't believe she's sixteen years old. Just an amazing, <laughs> well spoken person, yeah. and just shows you what you know what martial arts can do. Also, <laughs> just like so oh my cool. goodness. Oh my goodness. I, as an instructor, you know, I, I have such amazing teams and they've come back to me from college and, and, and thanked me, you know, like master Pineda, you know, I want to thank you so much because, you know, outside of the kicks and the punches, like you sent me into the real world with confidence and self-esteem. And nice. I was like, wow. I was like, that's my, <laughs> my work is done. There you go. That's the important part. <laughs> you so. know, and, and that's, you know, that's, that's kind of, that's kind of my, 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 one of my selling points too, you know, cause that, that's, that's what I want to do. You know, it's like, I want to send your child to college or into the real world with the tools that they're going to need to, to get by. That's... You know, the, the tools that you don't, you know, you can't really learn many other places. There we go. Right? All right, gotta gotta kind of take a, a weird left turn here. I gotta know uh, what yeah. what led to the video game, uh, the Untouchable, oh. and your involvement with that. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, Travis Riggs had a company, Creative Edge Software, and he had. Let's see, how did that happen? One of my students was involved, um, okay. Mallory Woods, and and Mallory himself was is a very accomplished. Mallory, it's weird. Mallory and I know each other pre martial arts. We know each other from the BBS days, from computers. Nice. Uh, like we would, we you know, we would like we were in high school. We would trade games and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. When I opened my school in Glendale. He was going to Bowie State University, which was like two miles away. And he started, he was a, he was a student of mine. And so I'd, I'd taken him for a while. And um, uh, I think when I, I had to quit, you know, like I said, to go to med school, he had hooked up with Gerald Dawson up in Baltimore, uh, became a very accomplished fighter. And Mallory ended up becoming one of the best fighters in the, in the country. Still very active, mm-hmm. actually. He's uh, he's doing a lot of commentating uh, for tournaments and stuff nice. like that now. Okay. 
but somehow I he had I found he had gotten involved with this video game project. I, he might have been a personal friend of Travis's, and I was like, oh man, I I need to get involved. And I sent Travis like all these pictures of myself, and and he and I met. And I think he had realized that not only was I a decent martial artist, but I also had connections to a lot of other real martial artists because he wanted to make a, a martial arts game. Yeah. So, so I had introduced him to like everyone else. Like I, I think, uh, well, Carmichael for one, Carmichael yep. Simon, Jeff Durbin, uh, a couple of my students at the time, cause I was a junior in Georgetown. John Valera was in that one. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. John Valera. So I actually, in addition to being a character, he also hired me as his choreographer. So I had done a lot of the choreography also. Nice. And then, yeah, and then he did the sequel, which was was bigger and actually still not released. Um, and that's where I met Cynthia Rothrock. I, I did a lot of her choreography and, and stuff like that. And Larry Lamb also yep. was a part of that project, too. And he's he's an amazing martial artist, let me tell you. That is cool. Um, but yeah, that's 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 kind of it. And and so yeah, so Travis is based in on my side. He's in Sterling, so he wasn't even that far. Okay. Um, and we we had just become really good friends. He we used to do this thing. Um, he had worked at a TV and radio production studio in Virginia, mm-hmm. and he used to do this thing. It was so cool. Uh, he called it pirate radio. And uh, what ha- what would happen is that. When the radio station went off the air, he would have his own pirate radio. Yep. And it was great because we'd drive over there and he even had uh, listeners calling in at like two o'clock in the morning. But it was cool. Like he played disco and, and we just, it was like a big talk show, you know. And, and I mean, I'm sure you, you had fun with that with your, <laughs> your experience in radio. But, I'm just yeah, saying, Travis, you know, Travis? I, I started in radio when I was 15 and the station I worked at went oh, off wow. the air, went off the air at midnight. And I'm, I'm not going to say that I did that, but <laughs> <laughs> it does sound familiar. <laughs> you know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> and it was, yeah, that was a lot of fun. But yeah, Travis, Travis is a good, Travis and I have been really good friends and, and I'm still working with him on, on a couple projects, but you know, it's, I'd introduce them to a lot of martial artists and, and, and other people too, but uh, okay. that's kind of how that, that whole, that whole okay. came about. And then was a, did I also read, was there a movie you got involved in too? Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I do my research. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so if you, if you, I have an IMDB for the video game and also a movie called Mother Cuffy. and Iron. <laughs> Leather and Iron, I think it had actually changed names a couple times. I think it's actually called Screaming Metal. I was going to say, yeah, yeah, on IMDb, so it's Leather and Iron on IMDb, but then they show the picture of the movie and it's Screaming Metal. So Yeah, Screaming Metal. And, um, yeah, that was a weird project. Uh, I'm even trying to remember how they – I think they had tryout. This is when I was in Arizona. Okay. And they had some kind of tryouts. And I don't know, it could have just been someone that I knew that got me involved in the project. But I played the, let's see, I played the right-hand man. It was a war between Asian gangsters and a biker gang. Okay. You know, I'll be honest with you. I haven't even seen the movie. But... I, well, now I have a mission to see it now. Cause I, I do. <laughs> so, so, so here's the tagline from the, in my, in my best movie trailer voice, an action laced thriller that uses genuine outlaw bikers to weave its gritty tale of drug, sex, kidnapping, and chopper thug violence. <laughs> that, just, <laughs> there you go. that just sounds cool. <laughs> now I, I got to find this movie now. <laughs> 
Uh, well, <laughs> all right. If you really want to get it, it's, I think it's on Amazon. Okay, I might have to check all it right. out. <laughs> but 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 again, and, and actually, um, I have the DVD that I, I had gotten from Netflix back when Netflix was had had DVDs. Oh and, wow! And I just I just purchased it from them just to have because yeah. like i said like i couldn't sit through the movie it was so bad <laughs> but i played the right hand man to the to the gang boss on the asian side okay and i i think i have a spill or two of me like standing next to him and oh oh boy i'm glad i never got into acting or at least <laughs> movie acting because it was it was pretty bad but we had you know this was when i was with uh yeah i was in arizona i had a bunch of really talented students jeff durbin was one of them and we actually had a whole bunch of fight scenes that we had choreographed and we got all this stuff. None of it was used. Oh, <laughs> a lot of it ended up on the cutting room floor. Actually, it didn't even get filmed because right? oh, wow. okay. we had all the choreography done, but it was never even filmed. So anyway, there's a couple bad. scenes of me in it and my wife keeps saying, oh, we should watch. I was like, no, nah, we don't <laughs> want to watch it. I, was like, I, I can't. You know, I might have a little bit of spare time, but I don't think I have 90 minutes to, <laughs> to, to put to that movie. Well, if, if I can find a stream online, I'll, I'll, I'll post it in the show notes, that's for sure. <laughs> Great. <laughs> we'll have to see. <laughs> That'll be Maybe I'll find a DVD somewhere and send it to you and have you, have you sign it. <laughs> oh, boy. That's awesome. <laughs> All right. So, <laughs> enough of that. But what is some advice you would give to someone? Someone approaches you, they've never done martial arts in their life. And they're just wondering, mm -hmm. saying, hey, I want to get involved. What should I look for? Or what should I avoid? You know, I've become pretty good friends with this guy, Rob. On He has a podcast and an Instagram site. He does live feeds. Um, he runs a, a site called McDojo Life. Okay. And McDojo Life is dedicated to pretty much keeping martial arts real. Right. It's kind of like these are... You know, a, a McDojo is kind of a term, you know, they just spit them out like McDonald's, like black belts. Yeah, they just, just spit out black. You pay your tuition on time, you'll get a black belt, right? You you drink the Kool-Aid, you'll get a black belt. And I love this guy's site because he's doing a great job of just exposing people. Because the, the thing with a martial arts school is that there's no governing body, big government, you know, international governing body. There's no set of standards any hoo-ha with a black belt thinks that they can open a school and teach, right? And so, again, since there's no no sort of quality control, you have no idea what you're getting. You, you know, you could go to you know Billy Bob's, you know, you know karate school, and and as a layman, get sucked into thinking the stuff that you're learning is real and it works. You know, I would say for one, you know, do your research. I would say pick an organization with uh, be a part of an organization with history right and and that's something like like junior taekwondo for one mm -hmm. and a lot of of bigger names but even at that right you know an organization is one thing but you still have to look deeper into the school into the instructor right because just because you own a school with a good name on it doesn't necessarily mean you're you're a great instructor and i have a lot of students that move you know, because we're in Arlington, a lot of State Department people, they'll, they'll move in. And I'll try to help place them in martial arts schools to wherever they're going. And part of my advice is, one, take a look at, at their black belt class. Look at the size of their black belt class. Because these are people uh, that believe in the school and have decided to stick around, 
right? Mm -hmm. I think some martial artists will get to the point where they're like, oh, man, like this school is no good, but I've invested so much time in it. As soon as I get my black belt, I'm out, right? So for them, black belt is the last step. Mm -hmm. A school that's got a decent-sized black belt class has students that are happy with where they are, and they don't see black belt as the last step. They see it as the first step. Right. Right. And I think that's one of my biggest look, look there. Right. Okay. And observe and watch, see how, how the, the teachers are, see how the instructors are. That's just really as far as kind of quality of the school. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, the other thing you got to look out for is, is the business ethics of some schools. Right. Because, you know, there's, there, I had, I met one woman and she had a school and, uh, Let's see. What did, she was on her way to, to court because she was she was suing a student that decided to default on her payments. Wow. And uh, she said, well, they signed a contract. <laughs> it's like a car. You know, if you, you can't just not pay your car. It's like, yeah, but that's a car, yeah. <laughs> you know, and lessons can start out great. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, they can they can turn bad. You know, I mean, the, the quality of what's going on changes by the day. I mean, there are some schools where. They put the best instructors at white and gold belt mm -hmm. just to kind of lure them in, get them to sign the big contracts. Then after that, they're like, eh, you know, whatever, you know, you're on your own. And, and, and if they quit, they quit, but they signed a contract or they paid in full. Right. You know, the business ethics, I think, are, are very important. You know, we have a, uh, I keep it easy. You know, you can pay in full for a year and, do that if you're really committed and you really think this is something you can do. But I don't do like some schools will do three years or two years. Yeah. That's it. You can pay in full for one year um, or you go month to month. And this can be canceled at any time with 30 days written notice. Nice. Anytime for any reason. Right. That's cool. And that's that's just it. Right. I, that that makes me accountable. I have to teach good classes or they'll quit. Right. Uh, another thing, too, is uh, how would you hear about them? Right. When, when I have, uh, uh, whenever I'm signing a, a, a person up, I was like, oh, how'd you hear about us? And um, I would say probably a solid 85 to 90% heard it, uh, sign up because they heard it from someone else. Right. And I said, word fantastic. Of <laughs> word of mouth. Word of mouth. Right. I would much rather, if I want something, a service or, or whatever, I, I would much rather take word of mouth from, from some that I trust, a friend of mine. Right. right. And, uh, I say, you know what? We we have a quarter page ad in the local newspaper, and we just have that just so people know we're here. Mm -hmm. But most of the people sign up word of mouth. Nice. And again, that keeps me on my toes because if you don't like my classes, you're not going to recommend me to other people. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, how do you explain that to someone that's never, you know, been exposed to martial arts before, right? Mm -hmm. Because that's where the marketing comes in into play because right. right? there are so many marketing companies out there and they'll make guarantees. Like I guarantee you'll get 30 signups a month and this and that. And the marketing is heavy, you know, like get him in the door, get him in the door, get him in the door. There was one organization in, in the area. I'm not going to name them because I don't like to talk bad about, about a lot of people, but they actually hired managers from the local fitness clubs. Oh, jeez! Because they were closers. You, <laughs> if you're in the door, they will close you. And they weren't even black belts, but they wore a belt around their waist that really? was black, 
and it had a stripe in the middle, right? A white, a gold. And I found out later on from someone that had left that organization that a black belt with a green stripe through the middle was the highest you could be because you close X number of dollars a month. So like green, like money. I'm like, Oh my God, that is, that's That's horrible. Wow. (laughs) It's sad. I know it, it is sad. And again, that's, that's the McDojo, right? They don't care about keeping you about retention. They just want to get you in the door, the marketing. I mean, we're talking like flyers on the doors, cold calls, warm calls, all that stuff, you know? And, uh, no, that's just, those are all big red flags, but, yeah. but that's, that, that's hard for me to tell a layman what to look out for right. without kind of sounding like I'm promoting myself. Yeah. You know, I just say, you know what, sit in my lobby, watch my classes, take a month of classes. And if you like them, great, I'll sign you up. If not, we can still be friends. We can part ways. Very cool. You know, I, I can even recommend you to another school if you're interested in a different style. Like if Taekwondo is not your thing and, or if you want to do WT, I got a great friend down the street there. If you want to do jujitsu, I got a great friend down there. I'm in it to make a living and to make money. But, you know, I think I think customer service is important, too. Right. Nice. <laughs> That's right. It's a great yeah. attitude to have. So, yeah. All right. So what are your thoughts on MMA and the UFC, and are you a fan? Ooh. Uh, yes and no, okay. right? As a martial artist that teaches a way of life and life skills, I think they're bad role models, a lot of the fighters, right? Uh, there's no respect. They don't bow in the ring, right? They don't bow. They talk trash about each other. You know, they're, it's in the news all the time, you know, they're, they're on drugs or they're dating prostitutes or whatever. I think they're, they're bad role models. And, and I would hesitate to say martial arts, at least in the way I see martial arts. Mm -hmm. Right. But as a sport, I think they're phenomenal athletes. Yeah. They train a lot. They train a ton. And every once in a while, you'll find a rare blend of someone that is at heart a martial artist, but also trains and shows respect. Um, and I'll call him out. His, his name is Ryan Hall. Yep. Ryan Hall's a, a, a good guy. He's He's got a jiu-jitsu school down the street. I've referred people to his school. Um, he has a UFC contract. He is the nicest, most humble guy. I mean, he calls me sir, and he doesn't have to. Nice. you know. And I've taken classes at his place before. He, in my, in my eyes, he is a, a martial artist and an athlete, right? A majority of them, you know, yeah. Uh, again, they're great athletes. You know, you think about martial arts in, in, in different ways, like, you know, some of the traditional styles will say, you know, it's only for defense, you know, but here's one guy, you know, beating the other guy to a bloody pulp, you know? <laughs> and then you think, well, in order to beat some guy to a bloody pulp and into submission, you got to do a lot of training. You have to be True. very, you know, you have, you have to know a, a lot of stuff. And, you know, it's kind of like, you know, Bruce Lee, I think was, a lot of people would agree that some would disagree. I think Bruce Lee was the, the father of mixed martial arts, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, cause he took, uh, you know, he learned, you know, Kung Fu, Wing Chun. But then he wanted to expand. He made Jeet Kune Do. He absorbed what is useful. He encompassed all. He, he, uh, he moved to the more practical, right? And that's kind of what that's kind of what MMA did, right? I mean, what the UFC did. You know, they they said, well, this doesn't work. Try that. 
I was like, well, you got to have a good ground game, but now you have to have a good game on your feet. You have to have, you know, the offensive, defensive all. So, so I am a fan of the UFC. Mm -hmm. I have people that I know in the UFC. I have uh, friends of mine that train athletes in the UFC. I respect them as athletes. I respect them as warriors, just like I'm a fan of boxing, right? right. I put it more in that category, right? I'm a big fan of boxing also. Cool. But when it comes to martial arts, then that's where that's where I hesitate. Yeah. Right. That's where you know the, the respect's not there. Leading by example to me is is big. You know, as as a martial artist, as a leader to other people, knowing that people look up to you, you have to lead by example. And if you're, you know, you got a drug problem, mm. <laughs> you're shooting up steroids, <laughs> you know, that's not there, right? Right. No, that's good. That's a good answer. And I think a lot of, yeah. you know, traditional martial artists would agree with you. So that's good. So okay. who are some names, and it doesn't necessarily have to be four, it can be, but who are some names that you would put on your personal Mount Rushmore of martial arts? Wow. Uh, well, Grandmaster Junior for one. Right. He is the man, uh, well, personally, um, he has given me everything I have. It, it's because of him that I have my lifestyle, my livelihood. I met my wife. He, I, I owe everything that I am to him. Nice. So he, he is at the, at the head, okay. right? As far as, uh, as the rest, you know, I, I would put those that have inspired me the most. Uh, my instructor, uh, Michael Coles, okay. um, he really shaped and molded me as an instructor. Um, he really did. And he, he was very accomplished himself. He was a welterweight kickboxing champion. I think it was like, uh, like seven, 78 to 1978 to 1980. He's up there. And then just who I respect, uh, in general, as in martial arts, Bruce Lee, okay. um, I, I, I think he's he's got to be up there for sure. That's some good ones. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, Bruce Lee. And, and you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep it simple. Okay. I'm going to keep it there. That I'm going to keep it there because I have, you know, I have a lot. I have a lot that I owe a lot to. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to, you know, I, but I would say those three have been are my inspiration and i owe to who i am personally okay and especially when it comes to bruce lee and and grandmaster junior i mean in the world of martial arts i think the world of martial arts would be different yeah. without them for sure definitely i would agree with that yeah. so all yeah. right and i know before we started recording you talked a little bit about um junior and some of his philosophies so is there a, mm -hmm. cu a couple maybe one or two philosophies you've learned whether it was from him or just anywhere else throughout your martial arts journey that are just super important to you. You keep coming back to them. You try to use them in your everyday life. You still teach them to your own students. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, he, he, you know, I'll send you, I'll send you a copy of his book. He, oh. he had come up with a, a philosophy he called a true topia, okay. right? Where, where it, the, the purpose of life is to be happy. And a lot of this is done through truth, beauty, and love. And he had talked about different ways of how, Martial arts is, you know, how, how can you make martial arts a philosophy? Like his big thing is the seven qualities of a champion. Because mm -hmm. he, he, he would always say that martial arts without philosophy is street fighting. And so how can we relate martial arts into philosophy? So the seven qualities are speed, timing, punctuality, 
endurance, balance, flexibility, posture, and how does that uh, reflect on your everyday life? Well, speed, alertness, right? Being aware of mm -hmm. your surroundings. Timing, punctuality, right? To be punctual. Mm -hmm. Endurance, perseverance. Balance, rationality, rationality. Mm -hmm. Flexibility, generosity. And posture, honesty. And his, a lot of his philosophy centers around those seven quads, and he, he explains them deeply, but not just uh, in life, but he also relates them to the, to the working world, to the business sense. Okay. Right? Like, uh, like timing would be like market awareness, you know, things like that. So he had taken these seven quads of a champion, and he wanted to be – to him it was very important that the life skills, that the philosophy was in place because just like he said – Without philosophy, martial arts is just street fighting. And, you know, my big thing is that life skills are half of being in martial arts. You know, I, I say, yes, you're, you're in Taekwondo uh, because you want to learn how to kick, how to punch, how to defend yourself. But, you know, we want to teach you life skills that are going to help you outside of Taekwondo, you know to succeed in college. Or one thing that I say is I say two big points, uh, and this is to my, my kids that are going to college, uh, statistically, two big extracurricular points that will help you get into college, like statistically, are Eagle Scout and Black Belt in Martial Arts, right? And then I say, so I don't know, what do you think? Does, does Virginia Tech care that you know how to do a good sidekick or that you know Exodus? or that you have, you know, that you can kick over your head. No, they don't care. I mean, but what they do care, and even if they're not a martial artist, is they know that you're a black belt. And uh, getting a black belt, they know is not impossible, but it's not easy. And right. it's a long-term goal. Virginia Tech wants to know that you are capable of setting your mind to a long-term goal and accomplishing that goal. The life skills are going to help that are going to help you in college aren't going to be your push-ups. It's not going to be, you know, the your super awesome, you know, round kick. It's going to be the self-discipline, the focus, the feeling of self-worth, the self-esteem, right? The ability to set your goals, right? That's what's going to help you in school. That's what's, that's what's going to help you in life. I put it on my job resumes still. I mean, I, I've had, yes. and it's come up in every interview. People are like, why would you put that on there? I'm like, because it comes up in every interview. It gets asked about. <laughs> That's exactly it. It's important. That's exactly it. And I tell them that too. I was like, you're going to put that, you put that on your college application. You put that on your job application, yep. right? Because they know, again, even if they're not a martial artist, they know that you have the ability to accomplish a difficult goal, a long-term difficult goal. That's what they want, right? And the converse, I say, hey, would you ever want to put down that you're a brown belt? It's like, <laughs> no. It's like, yeah. that that would hurt your chances. <laughs> That's saying, well, I started something and I quit. <laughs> you know, I was like, you're better off not putting anything down there. But yeah, you know, Grandmaster Reed, you know, his... It, later on in, in later life, he really put a lot of, of focus and energy into into his philosophy because he really he really wanted to improve you know, the person, okay. you know, and, and help them outside of martial arts. I think he he used martial arts as a vessel to teach them life skills and, and to teach them part of his philosophy. Nice.
All right. I have a few fun questions to wrap it up here. Uh, so this one, favorite martial arts book. Ooh, uh, interesting. Uh, mm-hmm. because over the summer I encourage my students to read Okay. and I say reading is important because you know, it helps the imagination. Um, it helps your, your cognitive ability. It, and so I always ask them, so what book are you reading? What book are you reading? And actually my adult class came back to me and said, do you have a list that you could recommend to us? I was like, oh, wow. So I, I've probably read the Tao of Jeet Kune Do yep. until the bridge fell apart, right? <laughs> that, that's a great book, right? I'm also big on The Art of War, yep, good uh, one. Sun Tzu, and uh, The Book of the Five Rings Nice. Um, are probably my top three. Okay. My top three, yeah. And anytime I uh, talk to a, a Taekwondo stylist, I always have to ask, have you, have you read the book, The Killing Art? I have. Okay. <laughs> I have. That was, that was actually right. a gift to me. Um, someone gave, someone gave that to me as a gift. I think it like in my second or third degree okay. test. Yeah. Yeah. Good one. Yeah. My instructor yeah. recommended that to me and I, I, I read it in a weekend. So it was, it was another, I, oh yeah. I used to, so read, that, I, I, I used to read a book a week and I, I want to get back to that. I haven't done that in a couple of years, but yeah. I, I love reading. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Yeah, well, you have kids, so. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> cool. Look, look got to find the time. <laughs> that is true. All right, this one, since I, you kind of grew up in the 80s like me, so I'm hoping you have a good answer for this. Favorite martial arts know. video game? Um, and obviously you can't pick the untouchable because <laughs> you were in it. <laughs> well, that, that, was, that was in the 90s. That okay. was in the 90s. Okay. It doesn't have to be in the um, 80s. Just any, it can be any from any decade, but I don't know. There was a lot of good ones that came out in the 80s and 90s. So. Well, I'll tell you what. I think... I think it's got to be Mortal Kombat. Nice. For okay. a couple of reasons, right? So that's that's the the original. And this is one reason is because I know pretty much all the characters in it. Yeah. I had met uh, Philip on. He was doing an autograph signing at a tournament one time, and he played the character Shang Tsung. Mm-hmm. And he signed my paper, and it was signed Dr. Philip on, MD. I was like, you're a doctor? And from that point forward, I, I had to talk to him because I was trying to get into med school, remember? Okay. And I was like, hey, you got to help me out. And um, he and I became such fantastic friends. He flew me out to Chicago, uh, introduced me to the rest of the cast, um, which I got to know uh, pretty well also. So that's probably one of the big reasons why I'm, I'm a, a big Mortal Kombat fan. And he actually wrote a book called... Uh, the mortal i have it i read it but like the mortal doctor or something like that and uh he kind of told his story um as a immigrant from korea uh growing up in chicago but also you know mortal Kombat, you know at the time had good martial arts you know like it had it yep. had real people um it had you know moves you know things that i could relate to but then, of course, you know, I was a kid and I got sucked in by like the gore, <laughs> you know, like, like finish him. I was like, oh, like what's that left, right, left, right, up, down? What? How do you do that? You know, it was, <laughs> it was, uh, it was, it was a different game. I don't, yeah. I don't think there were any other games like that at that time, and it just kind of it sucked me in, and it became even better when I when I met the the characters that played it. <laughs> nice, nice. How about yeah. a favorite martial arts TV show? Oh, hmm. like a series? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, yeah, you know, something well, like uh, the Kung Fu, Cobra Kai, you know, Walker Texas Ranger. I mean, anything like any, you know, any TV series that strongly featured martial arts. Uh, you know, 
I think influentially, mm-hmm. if that's a word, David Carradine's Kung Fu had a big part of me signing up for martial arts okay. because it was a great story. I liked watching it. Now, in retrospect, the martial arts was horrible, right? <laughs> like David Carradine was like, he was, he was, he was only taking Tai Chi, yeah. right? And it was all camera work and the acting, but, but it was like the allure of like, you know, the blind master and walking the paper and like, wow, this is like, this is cool. So it, it drew me in. It, it definitely drew me in. Yep. And so I would say that's actually, you know, one of the, one of the things that really pushed me interest wise into martial arts i did enjoy watching the wmac masters nice series yep. and again this was mostly because i knew everyone mm-hmm. like I, I knew yes every single person on that show carmichael included yeah yep. I've, had, I've had quite a few of them on my show too and and uh, and uh, the gentleman who is who just wrote the book about it was on my show too chris landis oh so. Yeah, Chris Landis, yeah. Yep. And that that was it. And yeah, Cobra Kai is so bad. But I love it. And if you want, it's I can bad, talk about I that. It. But... <laughs> it's, it's bad, but I love it. It's it's cheesy. It's I, nostalgic. It's it's fun. I I talk I talk about it. I, I watch it because my nine year old likes to watch it. Yeah. Right. But I'm so I'm so torn because you know, like I said, I, I I'm kind of big into uh, you know, martial arts being examples and this and that. And right. I don't know. Like my son's watching this. He's nine. And then here's Johnny drinking cores every, <laughs> yeah. every chance he gets. He's throwing out the P word. Like it's going out of style. Yep. And I'm like, what's your demographic? Right? Are you trying to go young or trying to go old? Like, like I couldn't, I couldn't quite get it. Right. And um, I was actually joking, you know, and I was like, well, you know, they all they do is they fight. They go to the mall, they fight. They go to the pool, they fight. I was like, what do they win? I was like, I think the winner should get acting lessons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's cheesy. I it is. <laughs> I watch and and plus, you know, and you know, and I watch it because my nine year old wants to watch it. I also because I have you know teenage students that watch it, so I can kind of relate to them. But it's yeah. Yeah, it's pretty bad. I, I love the nostalgia of them bringing Karate Kid back. I, I think they should have stopped at season one, actually. I would have been happy. Yeah. yeah I'm not. There's still people I'm hoping they'll still bring back. So, I mean, I, I loved I watched season five uh, this past week with my daughter, and I'm already hoping they'll do seasons. I know they when they initially planned it, <laughs> the, the writers had planned enough for six to seven seasons. So they're hoping to get at least yeah. six, hopefully seven to finish the story. So, you know, I now, and I'm sure you picked this up, right? Cause mm-hmm. I, you know, we watched season five and we actually stopped right at the finale, but I'm watching the last few episodes. And I'm thinking to myself, I think they're getting lazy because, <laughs> you know, here we are, you know, martial arts from Okinawa and I'm watching. I was like, uh, that's Korean. That word's Korean. I know. Dojang. That's what? Korean. That's also Korean. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Like that. I, was like, I think they're getting lazy. I was like, is there no one checking this? <laughs> but, yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> but yeah, Karate Kid, you know, the, the original movie Karate Kid was, you know, to the martial arts industry, a, a big boomer, right? Yeah. So, you know, there are, there are things that really spiked the martial arts industry. Karate Kid, Definitely. Yep. That was a big one, right? Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was probably the, the next one, yep. right? And so, you know, I was so into Karate Kid 1 and 2, and I think I watched the rest. I just forgot them because they were so bad. <laughs> but I, I do love, you know, I love seeing, like, Elizabeth Shue pop yes. up and, 
and uh and and all the older characters so that it's fun it's yeah. fun you know i'm what i have to do is i have to not watch it as a martial artist exactly <laughs> and then it it, it it becomes more tolerable. So you mean you can't get a black belt in five months and win a tournament? I mean, come on. <laughs> exactly. Right. The All Valley, right? <laughs> that's the part that's always bothered me. That's the one thing. Like, come on, seriously. <laughs> right. That's the exactly. bad. That's the bad part. Is it makes people think, oh, it's that easy. No, it's not. It's a movie. Uh, so yeah, you know. Exactly. But I mean, all, and all my listeners know, Karate Kid is the reason I got involved in martial arts. It's I, I've told right. the story so many times. We went opening weekend, and local Tung Sudo school was standing out in the lobby when we came out of the movie handing out free passes mm-hmm. <laughs> like 19 mm-hmm. June, June of 84 was like here here's a free month of yeah. Tung Sudo lessons like sweet I'm doing yeah. karate you know yeah, <laughs> so great marketing and it, it worked so all right final question favorite martial arts movie Ooh, you know I hesitate mm-hmm. maybe, maybe it's a <laughs> because, guilty maybe it's a guilty pleasure maybe, you know something because because it was my favorite then. Okay. And then looking back, I'm like, it was hard. I loved Bloodsport. Oh, so good. <laughs> so good. <laughs> I, think, I think before, like, my black belt test, mm-hmm. I, I must have watched Bloodsport, like, ten times straight through. <laughs> nice. I would definitely call that a guilty pleasure. You're not the yeah. first one to pick it. So, I mean, come on. Really? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> wow. At least, at least one or two other guests have picked. I think the two biggest no ones kidding. are usually karate kid and enter the dragon. Yeah. But yeah, I've had um, random ones, but yeah, at least two people have yep. picked blood sport. So yeah, that blood sport. I, I, I enjoyed a lot. I really liked best of the best. Yes. Um, yep. That really kind of uh, Philip and Simon re, I mean, they really, I think they did a great job of oh. really opening up Taekwondo. Yes. Cause I mean, it was, I think it was done well. Like mm-hmm. I, I think it even holds up yeah. pretty well. Oh, I still watch it. I literally just watched it. Well, I, I watched it again about <laughs> a, a, mo- a month ago cause I interviewed Simon re on the show. So I wanted to, oh, wa- really? I, I wanted to watch oh, it wow. again. Oh, I'm, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to have to listen to that. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> But yeah, I you know, blood sports my 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 guilty pleasure. Uh, best of the best, I think. Uh, realistically, best of the best was also a good one. But yeah, Enter the Dragon. I mean, that was it. Yeah, no. For for me, it's usually Karate Kid's always my go to, and then yeah, mm-hmm. best of the best, blood sport, mm-hmm. Enter the Dragon, and I, also per- <laughs> Perfect Weapon and Only the Strong. Those are like my mm-hmm. top five or six that I just I, I rewatch those all the time. Yeah, yeah. Can't oh, only strong is good too. Yeah, it is. Oh yeah, yeah. Mark DeCosco you know, is phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, you know. I'll tell you what. I, you know, martial arts movies. And here's my here's my take. On, I don't watch a lot of martial arts movies mm-hmm. anymore. Right. I think I'm I'm too much of a critic for one. <laughs> yep. But you know, it's weird. You know, because I I know like Don the Dragon Wilson. I've gone to Korea with him before actually. Um, and I and I know a lot of great martial artists and you can teach an actor martial arts but you can't teach a martial artist how to act very difficult that's why that's why a martial art like a real martial artist will never win an academy award yeah <laughs> right the movie will never be at the point where you it, it can win an academy award but you can take someone a great actor and teach them pretty you know, mediocre martial arts. I mean, you know, that's how, you know, they made Eric Roberts look like he was a great martial artist and best of the best. I thought he was for a long time. (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, wow. He he pulled it off. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yep. (laughs) 
So yeah, no, I agree yeah. completely. And, and you can, and but like I said, I mean, there's some martial arts you can tell, you can tell some of them take it seriously and actually go into like Chuck Norris took acting lessons. Jeff Speakman yes. took acting lessons. So you can tell the ones who take yeah. it seriously. They're not relying yeah. just on their martial. I mean, you know, yeah, Chuck Norris. Yeah. Like I said, he's, he's no, you know, he's no Sydney Portier, but he, he's, put, <laughs> he, he's put in some good acting. You know, he's had some he good has. acting roles and I, I love has. Walker. Yeah. I mean, I loved Walker, Texas Ranger. It was yeah. a good show. The, the, Walker, the original, Texas not the Ranger's remake. Great. Right. Yeah. 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 But yeah, no, I, you know, and, and I watched uh, a lot of his movies, you know, growing up, mm-hmm. you know, like the octagon and, yeah. and, uh, good guys were black, you know, and I mean, for someone that likes martial arts, they're, they're great movies. Yeah. Right. For someone that's looking for like an Academy, nah, it's yeah. not going to be an Academy award. Winner. Right. <laughs> I still watch sidekicks with my kids, the Chuck Norris movie. With, oh, his, sidekicks. His, his fight oh. with Joe Piscopo. I, I, I <laughs> laugh out loud every time I watch it. It's so good. <laughs> You know, um, I, so when I was at that Glendale school mm-hmm. that, I, that I told you about, I actually taught the managers of AMC movie theaters Nice. and Chuck Norris had come in town. That, this is my kind of claim to fame. Chuck Norris had come into town to do autograph signings at the movie theaters. So they hired me to be his bodyguard. Well, you know, kind of bodyguard. So <laughs> what I would do is I was just stand at the side of the table just to make sure that, you know, no one you know, yeah. did anything they weren't supposed to. So I was like, Oh, I was Chuck Norris's bodyguard. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. But, that's great. Well, and anything else you want to mention before I let you go? Anything you want to you know promote? Anything coming up? Or well, I did have one story mm-hmm. that I wanted to tell about Grandmaster Junior. Oh, person, go ahead, perfect. Right? And, yes. and and I think I think this kind of applies in in today's times, but I think it also gives you an idea of the type of person he he was, and uh, yeah, so. Grandmaster Ree, uh, uh had a school. He he first opened in Texas. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you knew this, but in, ni- yep. in 1952, his first he moved uh, in from Korea. He w- he served in the uh, in the Korean military, um, but then he went to school in the in the University of Texas in San Antonio, and he had opened a school in in Texas. Uh, that's where he had kind of run into to Jeff Smith and uh, the big guys, uh, Jeff Smith, Pat Burleson. Uh, Skipper Mullins, um, all from the Texas area. He had moved to Washington, D.C. because he wanted to be closer to the people that influence the United States, democracy, right? Mm -hmm. But he had a school in 1960. He had a school, and this was, you know, segregation was still going on in, in the United States in 1960. And he had a Taekwondo school. And he was open for classes. There's a guy that walked in and he came in through the back door and his name was Fred Simon and Grandmaster Junior. He said, where'd you come from? And he said, I, I came in through the back door. And he said, why'd you come in through the back door? He's like, well, uh, I'm colored and we were not allowed to come in through the front door. Uh, so I came through the back door. He said, this is ridiculous. So he walked him to the front. He said, walk out, walk back in through this front door. And he walked in through the front door. Uh, Grandmaster E uh, was not tolerant of racism one bit. And he saw, you know, and of course he, he was a, an immigrant. He's, he's Korean. So he's like, this, this makes no sense. So he wanted to accept all people and he, he wanted to set an example and he wanted Taekwondo to be a, a vehicle to deliver the message that you know, we need to build a better place regardless of race or religion, right? So uh, 1960 is when he uh, had Fred Simon 
walk in through the front door. Eight years later, he became the first uh, African-American instructor in the country. Wow. And Grandmaster E, he, that was his thing. Um, That's awesome. It, it is awesome. And Fred Simon just passed away uh, pretty recently, but I had the, the privilege of meeting him. He was a, he was a fantastic person. That's a great story. I love it. Nice. Good, good, way yeah. to, good way to end. I just, Mr. Pineda, I just want to thank you so much. Seriously, this has been so much fun. I've, I've loved hearing your stories. And when I go visit my son in Arlington, I definitely want to pop in and check out your school. So. Oh, please do. Yeah, please do. Yeah. yeah fun, fun to meet in person. So, <laughs> but I just, seriously, from the bottom of my heart, I just want to thank you. It's been so much fun. Oh, thanks so much. Thanks for listening to Everyday Martial Artist. We hope you'll join us every week for a brand new episode with a different martial artist telling their story. If you enjoy the show, be sure to leave us a review. Also, be sure to check out our website at everydaymartialartist.com. There you can find all of our episodes and contact us to suggest guests and ask questions. Again, thanks for listening to Everyday Martial Artist, and we'll see you next week.